Crippled Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Let's shine a bright light on sex and disability together. Connect with me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza, that's A-N-D-R-E-W-G-U-R-Z-A, and use the hashtag DisabilityAfterDark. Hey guys, thanks so much for clicking, for coming back, for listening to this new episode. I'm excited you're here, and I'm really excited that you want to listen to a discussion around sex and disability. So, so important, and so thankful you're here. So, let's get started with a brand new episode. Okay, so that was my attempt at being cool and shock jockey. I'm pretty sure it didn't work, but there it is, and I hope you guys kind of enjoyed it, and now we'll start the show. Get ready for a new episode of Disability After Dark right now. So, as per usual, when it comes time for me to record the show, unless I have a bunch of stuff already recorded, I'm never really sure where I want to go with it, never really sure where I want to take the show, never really sure what the next episode is going to be about until I start recording the next episode. I've had this idea mulling in my brain for a while now, and I wanted to make it an episode, but I wasn't really sure if I was strong enough, if I had ideas. So, this one, as I record each piece, you won't hear this, but as I record each piece, I'm, I'm writing it out and then I'm recording the segment and then I'm putting it together because I didn't have all the whole idea formed and I don't even have the whole idea formed right now as I go to record. So we're just going to kind of wing this episode and see where it comes. I wanted to talk today about um, what happens after sex and disability. We talk a lot about what happens during sex, what happens before the act itself, but we don't really delve into the experience of sex and disability after the sex has happened. I have a little bit on the podcast in some episodes, but I wanted to go more in-depth and kind of talk about my self-care rituals around sex and disability. I googled self-care around sexuality. There was a lot of stuff that came up, but not a lot of stuff that was related to, to people with disabilities. So I wanted to to look into that today and talk about some of my self-care rituals around sex and disability. So, kind of on the fly, not really sure how long this episode is going to be, not really sure what I'm going to say. I've jotted some notes down, and I'm going to take from those, and we're going to go from there. So, let's talk about self-care, sex, and disability. The act of sex and disability can be an intense and often emotional experience. At least it is for me. It's a really, really emotional thing that I tie extremely all the time, lots, I couldn't think of words there, but I tie sex and disability into my emotions. Every single time I engage in any kind of sex, there are emotions that I immediately tie to them even before the event because I feel like sex for me is like, and I've said this before, and you guys heard me say this before, sex for me is like Christmas time. It's really exciting. Um, It's like, it's like, Oh, before you open the presents in the tree and that excitement that you have when that happens. And so I tie emotions to the sex I have all the time. Whether that's a good or bad thing, I don't know, but it's just what happens. Because 
And this is partially because um, we, as disabled people, don't often have access to sex in the normative ways as we know, as we've talked about. Um, so for me, when the door is closing and when the person's left and when it's all said and done and I'm back in my chair and comfortable or sometimes lying in bed and still comfortable um, and I'm, everything's done and I'm kind of, it's finished, there's stuff that goes through my head and I kind of want to, I kind of want to talk to you now briefly about what goes through my head and what kind of happens to me afterwards. Um, so for me, when it's all done, I'm kind of left with these broken feelings, this whole, these shards of feelings that are kind of all over the place. They're everywhere and they're all in my brain and everything is kind of like jumbly. And so like the guy's left, I've just come all over his face or vice versa. It's great. I had the, I had what I thought at the mo in the moment was a great time and I hoped he did it as well. And so I'm excited to kind of revel in that for a minute. And there was a moment or two where I revel in, in the fact that we've just had sex and I just got to do this and it's great. And so I revel in that for a minute and then I kind of go on, I go, I go between the highs and lows of what happened. Like, yeah, that's great to like the middle ground of like, oh, that was good, right? That was quote normal, right? To the unbearable lows of what the fuck if I never get to experience that again? What if that time was the last time? What the hell do we do? Fuck, fuck, shit, fuck. So there's, so there's this roller coaster of emotions that I experience immediately following any kind of sexual encounter. Now again, whether this is good or bad, I don't know, but I think this is tied to a lot of ableism because the idea of sexuality and disability is so still so taboo and this plays into the way we, people with disabilities, engage in sex. And so these emotions, I think, come from that sometimes. So my very first self-care ritual after the sex is said and done and after the door is closed usually is to cry. I'm not even going to pretend like that's not true. That's just sort of what happens because all of this emotions coming up. And so let me kind of explain to you, and I've written this down so I can be more succinct here and not so rambly, but let me explain to you kind of why crying comes out for me as a person with disabilities. Um, sex and disability is so emotional for me and sometimes so unpredictable that sometimes I just cry when it's over. I just start to cry. And here's kind of why. It can be really hard to have to bottle these feelings up, sometimes for months and years at a time. So between sexual encounters, it can sometimes be months or years at a time that you get to experience sex again. And then all of a sudden, the 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 genie in the bottle is let out. Thank you, Christina Aguilera, for that great lyric. Um, but the genie in the bottle is let out, and you've rubbed it the right way, and now you have this thing happen to you, and it's great. And sometimes it's spontaneous, and there's no warning, and you can't plan it. So, and you know, sometimes sex is not a consistent thing that we have access to. At least this this is the case in my experience. So. What happens when you've done this thing, it's great, you're feeling excited, you're also feeling super vulnerable, you have all these feelings, and typically, because my most of my sex has been on the spears of hookups, and like, we're gonna fuck, I'm gonna suck your dick, you're gonna suck mine, and then you're gonna leave, and I'm not ever gonna see you again, realistically, that's the majority of the sex I've had, so because of all of this, what the fuck are you supposed to do with the emotions afterwards? 
where do they go and what do you do with them? What I do with them is I cry. I let it all out. I have to let it out because sometimes, a lot of the time when I'm with somebody sexually, I am unfortunately, as much as I like to get to that vulnerable place and I think vulnerability is sexy, as you know, I've said this before, but I think sometimes I hold it in because I'm trying to play this character, which is ridiculous and stupid and like unnecessary and I don't need to be, but I feel sometimes like I have to be because then... Then I don't feel then I don't feel so disabled and so which again is ridiculous because I love vulnerable sex but this sometimes happens where I have to hold all this stuff in and it, is, it isn't sexy to start weeping on your lover necessarily so I hold all this stuff in all these feelings and all this all these emotions because I don't want them to see it because I want to try to play this role properly which again totally unnecessary and ridiculous. I'm not saying you should weep on your lovers if you're disabled. I'm saying if you have feelings, express them and don't hide from them. But sometimes what I will do is I will cry it out a lot. I cry because I'm excited, because I'm happy, because it was a great thing I got to do. I cry because um, it's, you know, I get to express all of this stuff. I cry also sometimes to the backdrop of an Adele song, the vocal stylings of an Adele tune, or maybe sometimes, sometimes Beyonce. Beyonce's been in there to have good post-coital cry fest. I've also thrown on some, some bay. Um, but the truth is, I also cry out of fear that this might not happen again. I do very much worry that this will not happen again. This is my last time that I get to do this because I might have to wait a year, might have to wait six months, I might have to wait a long time for this to come up again. So there is, even though I've just done the thing, and even though I know within my my heart and my soul that I will get to it again at some point, there's a mourning that goes through once you're done. There's, there is a mourning period. And so I cry that out. And sometimes it feels amazing. And sometimes after I cry, it hurts like shit. But I think it's an important part of the post-coital cripple care regimen. Post-coital cripple care, maybe that's the, the title of the episode, um, I think I might call it that, but that's, crying is definitely part of what I do, and that's my self-care ritual number one, is to cry. The next big thing I do is I talk to myself. I talk myself through kind of what just happened and how I'm feeling about it, and I've started doing this more and more after sex, and telling myself that it's okay, and telling myself that this isn't the only time, and talking myself through why I wanted this and how this felt and what this meant for me and why this is important and talking to myself about what I wanted from that and did I get what I needed and how did this feel and giving myself a chance to process that with myself. Again, this is a private thing I do with myself after sex because I feel like, again, much like the crying thing, there's stuff that I don't think that lovers who I'll never see again deserve to see or will really understand the complicated relationship that I have around disability and sexuality in my body. So I have to talk to myself. And typically, because, again, because the experiences I have are one-night stands, I'm not going to see this person again. So when will I get the chance to share these feelings with them? So it's important for me to talk it out. And I do often repeat myself after sex, like, it's okay, that was fun, you enjoyed yourself, that was good, this is okay, to... to in a way, normalize the experience for myself 
so that I feel okay about what just happened, even though I'm still having the jumblies. The jumblies should be how the jumblies should be how we discuss our emotions all the time. So can we hashtag that hashtag the jumblies when we're listening to this episode? Um, but I do, <laughs> I do try to um, to temper myself and talk myself through what I'm feeling because there's so much stuff that comes up when you're disabled and and trying to engage in sex that you need to give yourself a you need to ground yourself sometimes and. I feel like sometimes talking to myself is a really important part of it. There's a lot more to talk about around self-care, sex, and disability, but first, we're going to play some ads. So we'll be right back here on Disability After Dark. Hi, my name is Laura Bain, partially blind and partially cool in Halifax, and I listen to Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. This episode of Disability After Dark is a handmade piece of crippled content created just for you. We record, edit, and produce each piece of this show to bring disability to you in a fresh, honest, and sexy way. Help us create more episodes and support crippled content creation by heading over to our Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com slash and pledging if you can. Your monthly pledge goes towards things like audio equipment, podcast hosting subscriptions, and everything we need to bring this disability-centered program to you. By pledging your support, you're showing that disability content has value, means something, and deserves a place in our media landscape. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Welcome to the second half of this episode where we talk about sex, disability, and self-care. Hope you enjoyed those awesome ads, and thank you again for... For those of you who have done voiceover ads for me, thank you so much. If you want to do one, you can always email me at andrewandandrewgerza.com and I would be happy to include your voice ad in an, in an upcoming episode. And this means that you guys are listening and you guys care about the show and you guys are supporting me and so I really thank you for that. Let's get back to the show. Self-care ritual number three. Now I should preface that these these rituals that I do aren't the same rituals for everybody else and they don't always come in the same order. So you don't necessarily have to have sex, then cry, then talk to yourself about it. And then this next one, which is talk to someone else about it. So whatever, whatever configuration these come in, that's fine. And they can be in cycles. They can go up and down and change and, and, and morph into different ways. And it, it doesn't matter, but I'm just laying some of them out for you, and they, it doesn't, they don't follow any kind of formula. It's not formulaic in any way, just so we're all clear, but I'm just laying some out for you. So let's get to number three. I think one of the most important things to do after sex for anybody, whether they are disabled or non-disabled, is to talk about it with someone. I think talking about sex is something we don't do enough generally, Especially, this doesn't happen when you're disabled. And 
I should say also that when you're disabled, the, the talking to somebody about personal stuff, any kind of personal stuff, but especially about sex, can can be kind of tricky and kind of complicated, and it can be hard to find that person, especially depending on where you live or your type of care situation as a, as a person with a disability, because oftentimes there may be policies in place at your at your particular living environment or with your family, then don't allow for you to have these conversations and actually prevent them from happening under the guise of protecting everyone, blah, 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 boundaries, blah, blah, blah. Oftentimes, you may not have a space where you can share these feelings. And I really do believe, and I really do feel that this is part of my work as a disabled disability awareness consultant doing this work around sex, disability, and all that stuff, that people deserve this space. So I'm going to throw out some resources for you right now. You can go on to a Facebook called a Facebook page called Disability Sex Chat, run by my friend Dominic Evans. Um, it's an amazing resource for people with disabilities just to have community, and I highly recommend that anybody who wants to, to talk about how they feel around sex and disability should go there. They're really good about being non-judgmental and they, they welcome everybody. There are some rules attached to it, but just read up there on their Facebook page and you can join in and talk about it. You can also start a blog and start writing about it and start a journal for yourself, start a diary if you need to, to get this stuff out so you can feel like you can actually talk about this stuff, which I feel like we all should be allowed to have access to, but so many of us with disabilities don't have access to. I'm also going to say that if you really want to talk about your feelings around sex and disability as a disabled person, that you can talk to me about it. Send me an email. Send me a tweet. Send me a Facebook note. Send me something. And if you really want to chat about it, I'm here for you. And I want to take what you're saying. And I'm not going to use it in a podcast or anything. But I'm just going to listen to you and let you vent to me and talk about it and be excited and be scared and be sad. And whatever feelings come up from that, that's okay. But I want to open myself up as a resource for you to be able to have those conversations if you need them. Now, if you are lucky enough to have a good support system around sex and disability and around talking about the realities of disability and you have friends you want to share this with, I want to talk to you about what kind of types of people you may encounter when you bring up the subject of the sex you just had as a person with disabilities as part of your self-care plan to talk to somebody about the sex you had. So you may encounter a few different things. I talk to my best friends. I have one friend who, I have some friends with disabilities. I have more than one friend sometimes. I um, have some friends who are disabled and some friends who are non-disabled that I talk to about the sex I just had and to get it out. And I've noticed some marked differences in how these stories are perceived by these two different groups. So I kind of want to talk to you about how these stories are perceived by these groups and how how a non-disabled friend might feel about the sex you're having and how an, a disabled friend might feel about the sex you're having when you decide to share that, that with them. With my non-disabled friends, it can be tricky because they oftentimes, and this happens so many times when I speak to non-disabled people about sex, they get a little bit too excited for me that I've actually gotten to have sex. So 
even if it's well-meaning, there's a whole lot of ableism that can come from that. Like, I've had friends of mine who, I, who support everything I do and who are great get really so excited. It's, it's a little bit kind of, kind of weird because there, there's a fair bit of ableism, whether it's meant to be there or not, and I really don't think it is sometimes, that when you tell your, your able-bodied friends that you had sex as a disabled person, even if they know you've had sex a bunch of times, there's this moment of, ooh, how was it? What was it like? I've had, also, I've had people also say to me, oh, was that your very first time you had sex? After I've had sex like multiple times, being like, really? You're going to really ask me if that's my first time? As if I'm some virginal, virginal like angel child that's never done it? No, no. I can be a dirty slut, and I'm okay with that. But don't ask me ever if it was my first time if I've had sex. Because especially if it was, I don't want to feel like single out or anything. And if I tell you it was my first time as a disabled person, don't say, ooh, how was it? Like, just let me have the feelings. And I feel like there's a lot of ableism in those comments when able-bodied people get just a little bit too excited over your sex you're having. You might, you might just want to have a conversation with them about the sex you're having. And when they do that, it negates all of your feelings and it makes you feel, it makes what you've done feel not really real. And that's, that can be super damaging. So if you're the able-bodied friend of a disabled person who's sharing this with you, maybe instead of talking over them and being excited for them overly, and I, I know you mean well when this happens, and to friends of mine that have done this to me, I don't take any offense, and I know where you're coming from totally. But let me just tell you the story, and let me just talk to you about it before you get excited, because I want to be able to tell you how I'm really feeling, and if you get excited over the fact that I just simply had sex, you're not really seeing me or hearing me or letting me let you be a part of that experience because maybe it wasn't good maybe it didn't maybe it wasn't exciting maybe it wasn't my first time feeling like shit about it and I want to share that with you to get it out part of self-care and part of talking about sex and disability for me with my friends after the fact especially my able-bodied friends is that I try to you know I gauge what I've done with the person when I talk when I tell my sexual stories but with somebody I gauge what I've done to, to kind of see, like, is this normal? Is this what other people do? Did this only happen to me because I'm disabled? And I'll put that out there with my able-bodied friends. I'll be like, so I did this. Did you Do you do this? And you kind of wait for them to, like, validate what you're saying or totally be like, oh, wow, I've never done that. Wow. To see, like, on what level is your sex completely, completely different from an able-bodied person? And what in what ways is it kind of the same just i do that just to see kind of what level it's on and how and maybe there is some ableism involved in that but that's kind of how i feel about it sometimes and so by asking my able-bodied friends that i want to see what level i'm on and how, and how much the sex mirrors popular culture my how much my sex mirrors popular culture The second part of that, obviously, is talking with my disabled friends as part of self-care. And that's the part that I really, really enjoy, is also talking to my disabled friends, because they have a much different take on sex and disability. We understand, as disabled people, intrinsically the struggles and the challenges and the reality of trying to get yours when you're trying to get laid and, and be disabled. So after sex, if I've had even, even decent sex with somebody and I talk about it, I can also talk about the struggles without it being weird and without that those struggles being 
kind of dismissed because I got laid. Sometimes with able-bodied people, they'll say, oh, well, at least you got some. Like, don't worry so much about this. But I can tell my disabled friends the ins and outs, and I feel really, really confident in sharing that personal stuff because we've all been there. So I really think that talking with your friends, both able and disabled, is an important part of cripple coital self-care. Post-cripple coital, post-coital cripple self-care. I'm never going to know what the title of this episode is, but that's where we're going, I think. Post-coital cripple self-care. Do we like that one? What are, what are our thoughts? Tweet me your thoughts about this title so far. My fourth self-care ritual, the thing that I really, really like doing after sex, good, bad, or otherwise, is to, to dance it out. Sometimes when I've had really great sex and I'm you know worried about it and I'm worried that I won't have it again or I'm worried about, about my performance, I'm worried about ableism around it or I'm worried about anything, I will put on a song, just a fun song, and I'll dance it out, kind of like how they do in Grey's Anatomy whenever things are going really shitty for them. They just stop and dance it out. That's kind of how I do after sex because I have to dance out all my fears, dance out all my ableism, and dance out all my stuff. So I highly recommend putting on some classic 80s pop, some Michael Jackson or some George Michael, definitely, and rocking out to that after sex as a disabled person and just dancing and enjoying yourself, getting those endorphins kind of and all that fear and all that stress and all that, even, even if it's happy stress, get that shit out, dance it out, dance off the sex, and you might feel better about it if you're worried about all of the ableism and all the stuff that you might have to encounter when you engage in sex with somebody and all the stuff that we don't generally talk about, dancing that off of yourself can feel really good. I also find it super troubling when I was doing research for this piece, and by research I mean I was googling things to find articles about self-care and sexuality. I found it troubling that there was not a lot of stuff around self-care, sexuality, and disability. Everything said, everything that they proposed you should do after sex involved a lot of ableism and that was problematic like go for a run and all these things like run on the i actually found one that said like run on the beach and i was like what that's super ableist i can't run on the beach that sucks so like i think when we look at self-care initiatives around sexuality and there are so many of them out there if you google that you'll see we need to include people with disabilities in this narrative because the way we look at sex and we look at our experience of of sex after the fact is very different. I, after the fact of sex, will get very depressed because, like I said earlier, I get worried that I won't be able to have it again, and this might be the very last time, so I freak out. We need to find ways to discuss self-care, sex, and disability. And telling me to run on the beach or to clean myself up, which I just saw when I Googled it again, there was actually one that was like, just have a shower. It's so simple, and as we know from episode, I think, 35, showering as a person with a disability is not that easy. So the this idea that cleaning yourself up is something you need to be responsible for as a disabled person can be really trying and we need to we need to find ways to broaden this narrative of self-care, sexuality and disability to include disabled people. This again says by not seeing it anywhere this suggests that people with disabilities are sexualities don't matter and we have no resources to help us after we have sex and we have to deal with the trauma of, of ableism or the trauma of someone saying a shitty thing. What do we, where do we turn to fix that problem? Where do we turn to make ourselves feel better? So 
I think we really need to, to bring this to light. And I, I would love to talk with, with you guys more about it. And I want to see how we can change the narrative of self-care to include disability. I did find another piece around self-care that I was reading about youth and adolescents and how to, how to engage in self-care, not necessarily after sex, but more so around hygiene. They were like, oh yeah, just ask, a, just ask your service provider and they should be able to provide you with self-care options around hygiene and feeling good about yourself and your body and all that stuff. And I just giggled because I was like, I have lived in, in, I live in a place with a service provider and I got to tell you, they don't know anything about providing resources around sexuality and disability or hygiene and disability or any of anything like that unless it falls in line with their policy. So going to a service provider, especially as some with something as so personal as this, is really hard. And I don't think going to a service provider necessarily is a proper route for self-care after sex or when we're talking about hygiene or anything. But especially if you want someone to talk to around sexuality and disability after sex, maybe going to your service provider isn't necessarily the greatest route because I got to tell you, they won't know what to say to you. They won't know how to process that. We need resources for them to talk about when a client or consumer has sex and how they might feel about it. They need resources to be able to have that conversation too. And I've mentioned this before, definitely. Another part of self-care that I find particularly challenging is a lot of sexual self-care stuff says you should eat properly and stay hydrated. Now, when I, after I'm done having sex because I'm worried about all those things, about the ableism and all the feelings around disability, I tend to eat shit. I get immediately hungry for burgers and fries and want to gorge on that stuff because that tastes good, that feels good, which is masking my fears around sexuality, disability, and ableism and never getting fucked again and all those things. Well, I will eat all this shitty food. But realistically, one of the things I love to do after sex is have a cup of tea, pull up the audible.com, pull out an audiobook that I love that has nothing to do with what just happened and just immerse myself in that. Sit in my chair, tilt my chair all the way back and it makes a big whirring sound and I have my cup of tea in my special disabled, disabled um, cup that I use and I just close my eyes and I listen and I try not to eat shit and I try to just sit and listen and kind of center my body with what's just happened so I can heal because even if the sex is good, there's internal ableism happening and I need to do what I can to stop that from encroaching on the experience that I had, even if it was great. So having a cup of tea and having a listen to an audiobook, sometimes it's even just the waves of the, from audio, you know those waves tapes you can get? I listen to those too all the time. And that's really helpful. It, it brings me back to this weird sense of peace and sense of happiness that I got to do this thing and I got to experience it. And no matter what happens, it's okay. I think the takeaway from this episode is that as a disabled person, we need to talk to other people about the sex we've had. Able-bodied people so they can can understand sexuality in a different way and understand how we really truly feel about it. And disabled people, we should tell our stories about sex because we can relate and we can build community around that. I think talking to people is my favorite part of self-care. I hope you've enjoyed the tips and tricks that I give you around my post-coital cripple self-care, and I'd love to hear yours. So leave me a tweet or an email 
at andrew at andrewgerza.com or andrewgerza on Twitter, and I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, read my blogs or book me to bring disability to you, head over to www.andrewgerza.com. Also, if you're listening to this in iTunes, please rate and review us so more people can find the show. Copyright Notice This program was created and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Any and all materials, including graphics, music, and audio recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission.